This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Thank you. So Dr. John Brungert is an assistant professor of philosophy at the School of Catholic Studies at Newman University. He studied at Thomas Aquinas College before pursuing his doctoral degree in philosophy at the Catholic University of America. Then from 2017 to 2019, he was a postdoctoral researcher at the Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile in Santiago, Chile. Today he will be speaking to us on chance and indeterminate causes in the cosmos, lessons from Aristotle and Aquinas. Please welcome Dr. John Brungard. Well, thank you, Father, for that introduction. Uh, I'd also like to thank Dr. Gorman for his talk and for introducing into respectable discourse the word Tomish. Uh, and so if his, if his talk was Tomish year one and a little of year two, this is going to be year one, semester two, and more of year two. But that's all you'll hear of that analogy since I just made it up. Uh, this is actually a pretty difficult subject, chance. Uh, so let's begin with the method of natural philosophy. Aristotle describes the method of natural philosophy with the following analogy, and that's text A on your handout. He says, children at first call all men fathers and all women mothers, but later they distinguish each of them. That is, we begin at a distance from the truth about nature's causes and our progress is slow. Clarity and specificity arrive after and through vagueness and generality. The Aristotelian Thomistic account of chance might sound like a child's talk in comparison to modern theories of events and their probabilities. Yet, just like a child's talk, what is clearer and more manifest to us at first is the foundation for arriving at a more precise grasp of things later on. So the method directs us that we begin by reflecting upon such vague concepts. Of course, there is the objection against this, and this is text B, that nothing would be gained by a return to those vague notions, which are sometimes praised as intuitive, but which are really nothing but an imprecise and indefinite use of words. Despite opposition of this sort, Aquinas, following Aristotle, insists on sketching the scientific image of the world using the limited but robust resources of what is manifest to us at first. For the sake of what we, what we may gain in the attempt, let us indulge for a moment the mentality of that primitive epoch. On the Aristotelian Thomistic account, chance exists as a cause tied up with the genesis of changes in the world. Yet chance is a peculiar cause, and it exists in a peculiar way. So first I'd like to begin with some preliminary problems in order to start contemplating how chance is a part of the structure of the natural world. So the preliminaries are two problems. The first is the marketplace case. This is text C. Suppose that you and I meet by chance at the market. There may be a causal story of why I am at the market at 10 past 9 in the morning choosing cantaloupes. 
A different but equally causal account will explain why you were there at the same time picking your peaches. Because the two sets of causes together entail that we will cross paths at 9.10, there was nothing undetermined about our meeting. We call it chance, but not because the event was uncaused. Chance is a mere seeming, the result of intersecting causal lines. This face-saving, necessity-saving idea was proposed again and again by Aristotle, by Aquinas, etc. Close quote. This is a typical reading of the marketplace case. Hidden from our knowledge are the interlinked or co-fated sequences of causes and events that bring about a random encounter. Yet is it true that chance is a mere seeming? If chance is an illusion, how does this affect what we can hold about the contingency of future events or the reality of free choice? That was the first problem. The other problem concerns a more global scale. We could call it Aristotle's cosmological problem. Aristotle himself raises it when he is examining the opinions of certain of his predecessors, in particular Democritus, but that's kind of a detail. Basically, their claim was that all the order in the universe could have arisen through chance interaction of more fundamental parts. Arist Aristotle was skeptical. How could the random be the ultimate cause of order? Or do other causes, ones superior to chance, make use of chance instrumentally for some ulterior motive? So between the, the local problem there and the global problem, kind of get us started thinking about chance. I'd like to first clarify terms. So chance and luck, we're going to give them a bit more specific meaning. And so here they're, I'm gonna stop using event or random or probable or probability or spontaneous or fortuitous until the end when things loosen up a bit. We'll just focus on chance and luck. Chance is a cause, according to Aristotle and Aquinas. And what happens by chance is an effect. But this use of terms has to be justified based upon some evidence. So we should turn to how the Aristotelian Thomistic account works. So let's define luck and chance. Chance is obscure in comparison to the other four Aristotelian causes. Excellent. <laughs> For the sake of some clarity, let's first consider the terms nature and by nature. The term nature is used in many ways. Sometimes it means the essence of a thing, sometimes its definition. In natural philosophy, nature is related to the motion and rest of a substance. This emphasis on substance is important, by the way, because substance is the primary unit of analysis in natural philosophy. A bit more precisely, a nature is the primary intrinsic cause of motion and rest of a substance. Now by nature here, we don't mean the agent or the efficient cause. Rather, when we analyze a nature, it's into form and matter. The natures of substances are hylomorphic. For example, human nature has a material cause that can be analyzed at different levels. Organs, tissues, cells, and yes, ultimately the dreaded prime matter. <laughs> Along with the formal cause, the human soul. It is due to our nature that we are able to be and to act as agents in ways that are characteristic of being human. And that's what by nature means. We are naturally capable of thought because of our minds, and we are by nature mortal due to our organic decomposability. 
A thing's nature gives rise to what it is able by nature to do or to suffer. Another example, think of a temperature pressure phase diagram of water. Hopefully this is not foreign to too many people. I'll, I could try to draw one in the Q&A and fail. The phase diagram does not depict water's nature. Rather, it depicts on a graph what belongs by nature to water. So at different temperatures and pressures, is it a solid, liquid, or a gas? Now, if there were phase diagrams for Aristotelian natures, and if you could draw one for the nature of a substance like water or a sea turtle, then what happens due to chance would, as it were, fill in certain fissures along the fuzzy edges and the phases depicted in this philosophical phase diagram. But that's just a metaphor, and perhaps it's an unhelpful one. So we're going to try to be a little bit more accurate. So we're going to turn to define luck and then chance. Uh, so for, the, for starters, just think of luck, or Aristotle and Aquinas says, luck is chance when it happens to humans. And since it happens to us, it's a bit clearer, so that's why we start there. So when Aristotle defines luck, he sets it up by a pair or two sets of distinctions. And they both concern what comes to be or coming into being. Uh, and sometimes that's translated as what happens or what comes to pass or an event. Um, but I, I'd like to stick with what comes to be or the changes of substances. Because if we start thinking about events that could be, bring to mind too readily something that we measure, uh, something that's in a coordinate system, when we really have to focus on the changes, the sufferings and doings of things out in the world. So this first distinction is a trio. Some things come to be always, others come to be for the most part, and still others are neither. So here's Aquinas in text to be. He says, certain things always come to be like the rising of the sun, while certain other things come to be frequently, such as a man born with eyes. But neither of these is said to be by luck. But certain things besides these two occur in fewer instances as when a man is born with six fingers or without eyes. Uh, so first note how the quantification is rather vague. How frequently is frequently. How infrequent is in fewer instances. So for now, I'll just note that it seems best to take these two uh, conditionally or dispositionally, not as an absolute frequency, but as absolutely across all available time for a type of an, a, a type of event. Under that rubric, you wouldn't go to work frequently unless you spent more than half the week there, which would be sad. Um, so rather, the conditional account or the dispositional account involves what comes to be uh, given a certain setup. There is something about a substance in certain conditions that disposes it by nature towards certain effects. It is when this dispositive setup obtains that we are supposed to talk about what usually or infrequently happens, and not absolutely speaking. The second distinction concerns what comes to be for the sake of something. Text E, of things which come to be, some come to be for the sake of something and some do not. 
This distinction presupposes the existence of teleology or final causality. Birds possess wings for the sake of flying, the eyes for the sake of seeing, the acorn is for the sake of producing an oak tree, etc. What comes to be that is not for the sake of something? Aquinas suggests things that are for their own sake, like contemplation, or things that happen without some prior deliberation, like absent-mindedly stroking one's chin. For Aristotle and Aquinas, however, teleology is universal across human choice and the natures of things. Hence, Aristotle says, whatever could be done by thought or by nature is for the sake of something. So it seems like Aristotle's not countenancing purposeless regularity in the universe. Based on these divisions, it is possible that in the realm of human action, something come to be infrequently and for the sake of something, and while it could have been chosen or determined ahead of time, in this case, it was not. Consequently, our definition of luck is that luck is an accidental cause of what comes to be for the sake of something, yet for the lesser part and by choice. And that's F on your handout. So let's look at some examples. Recall the marketplace case. Two people meet by luck at the market. In Aristotle's version, they are a creditor and a debtor. Let's instead make them two old friends that haven't seen each other for a long time. Each of them was going to the market for the sake of buying something. A reunion was not intended. Furthermore, while we plan to meet or interact with family or friends for the most part because we are in touch with them and we live with them, the long lost friend is met with for the lesser part. Aha, what a surprise to see you here, we might say. That is, its cause is luck. But wait, aren't these two sequences of causes, aren't there two sequences of causes that lead to this event? Yes, but these sequences happen to overlap. The overlap is accidental because the intention of going to buy fruit does not include as part of its definition to meet an old friend. A meeting of that type is extrinsic or accidental to the intentions of the agents involved. Or consider the classic treasure finding gravedigger case. In this scenario, the gravedigger is nobody nefarious, he's just doing his job. Here is a spot of ground in which, in a few days, the next customer will be interred. At least that's the plan. However, the spade of the mini backhoe strikes a solid metal chest, and suddenly the gravedigger has dug himself into early retirement. What luck! Or, if you've seen it in the film No Country for Old Men, think of how Josh Brolin's character finds his ill-fated treasure when he is hunting pronghorns in the desert and comes across $2 million of drug money in a chest. Well, it's in a satchel, a briefcase. Aquinas, not having seen No Country for Old Men, comments on the gravedigger case in text G. Fortune, or luck, is said to be an accidental cause in this sense when something is accidentally joined to the effect. For example, if the discovery of a treasure is accidentally joined to the digging of a grave. That is, the human agent acting for the sake of one end, which end or finality characterizes him as an agent in those circumstances, in so acting brings about an effect that is outside of or accidental to that intention. Our buried treasure-finding gravedigger is not an essential kind of human occupation or a regularly achievable thing, 
neither is a drug money finding pronghorn hunter. The effect of finding treasure comes to be in an odd way, through a privation of intentional causal conditions. You can't count on hailstorms paying off your car loan and leaving behind a legally drivable car. Perhaps then, the infrequency of what comes to be by luck arises due to these accidental conditions that characterize human agents. That is, the lucky outcome is accidental to what is intended as such, and thus the effect is infrequent. So now let's turn to chance. To define chance, the method is to generalize our analysis of luck. So we go from the human realm to the natural realm. Aristotle provides various examples of what comes to be by chance. Uh, and so we are to replace the intentional action of human agents with the teleological action of natural things, natural substances. So that's a minor switch. So text H, chance, is an accidental cause of what comes to be for the sake of something, yet for the lesser part and by nature. And here, Aristotle just gives lots of examples. He does define it, uh, but he, he mostly relies on his examples to do the work. So I'll imitate him humbly and see if it also works. I guess not so humbly because I've added my own examples. So if something's wrong, we'll blame me. For instance, <clears throat> a child is born blind. So this, sorry, this is table, the table at the bottom of the handout. A child is born blind. Nature's intention miscarries for some reason, and the child lacks what usually happens at the end of gestation. Or, Aristotle, a horse arrived at a certain location by chance, and because of its arrival was saved from death, even though it didn't come to that place for the sake of that end. My similar example, a certain antelope reaches a watering hole by one route, not another, and thereby avoids the lions that do not eat it. Aristotle again, the tripod fell by chance, for it stood for the sake of being sat upon, but did, did not fall for the sake of being sat upon. Or my analogous example, a chair is whisked away by a tornado and found miles away, just waiting to be sat upon in the middle of a field. Aristotle again, and perhaps unfortunately, that rock fell not for the sake of striking, so the rock fell by chance, because it might have fallen through someone's doing and for the sake of striking. My analogous example, this boulder is dislodged from a cliff due to erosion and rolling downhill crushes this sunbathing lizard. So note a few things about the examples. There's an end goal in each case, but what comes to be is for some other end. It's accidental. The nature of human generation intends eyesight, but this can be prevented. Antelopes can intend to avoid lions, but sometimes accidentally do so. Stones can be used intentionally as weapons, but are sometimes deadly by happenstance. Chairs are typically arranged to be sat upon, but not by tornadoes, etc. The effect is not the per se, there's Tomish level two, or essential finality of the agent in question. What comes to be is outside of that for the sake of which the agent in question had been acting by nature. This accidentality may even give rise to a hindrance of the natural finality achieved frequently. The substances, in, the substances involved are by their natures disposed towards certain effects 
precisely due to their natural finality, their final causes. Yet what usually comes to be can fall short and miscarry into the infrequent secondary array of results. What's more, these chance outcomes are indefinite precisely because they are only accidentally related to the essential nature of that agent and its intention. What about these last two examples? And I include them with, I believe, with question marks. We want to discuss them later. This acorn falls to the ground. Oak tree nature, as it were, intends it to grow into an adult. However, is it's being eaten by this squirrel, something that comes to be by chance. A similar, if more dramatic, story could be told about an ill-fated baby sea turtle struggling to reach the sea. I'm sure you've seen videos of that. They're so helpless. <laughs> so these are the basic characteristics of the Aristotelian Thomistic account of chance. So you might tell it already, it's not like how we use chance today. However, all is not yet clear. So in an attempt to clarify some of it, and also to expand the horizons of discussion to where chance can be found elsewhere in the Aristotelian Thomistic account of things, I'm proposing this series of lessons. Uh, some are more local and others more global, and maybe not all of them are lessons in a positive sense. So first, chance is an accidental agent cause, a concourse of essential agents or per se agents and thus indefinite. So this first lesson attempts to clarify just what sort of cause chance is. While chance involves teleology, chance is not an accidental final cause. First, however, a word long belated about the term accidental. It can be used in many analogous ways. Sometimes accident means a feature or characteristic of something. Think of Dr. Gorman's use of secretariat. In this sense, accident is distinguished from a substance. In this sense, also, accident has a definition or an essence. You could define weight or having pale skin or being able to play the guitar or something like that. However, in the second sense, accident is distinguished from what is essential. For example, being pale-skinned and knowing how to play the guitar are accidentally related both to each other and to being human. They neither define each other nor being human. That is, in this second sense of accident, the terms do not pick out what would be included truthfully in the essence of something. So they lie outside of what is essential. So this is the first lesson, as it were. Chance is an accidental agent cause in this second sense of the accidental. What happens by chance, the chance event, is marked by this same non-essential connection. Since natures as such do not act, it's the substance with the nature that acts. Uh, since that's the case, the things acting as agent causes by nature are required for the chance coming to be. So you parasitically include chance among agent causes. But you don't include chance among essential agent causes or agents of such a type. And this, this shows up in a few ways. First, there's no essential connection between the powers of the agent in question and what comes to be by chance. 
the antelope naturally becomes thirsty when dehydrated, but not for the sake of avoiding being eaten by lions. Rather, the antelope's activity as an agent brings about, by happenstance, an effect that was outside of that intention. Second, since chance is an accidental mode of agency, it implicates other agents and their individual lines of causality and their own end goals. There must be other extrinsic agents so that this accidental feature can arise. Yet these agents in question, they're not coordinated by nature. They're just accidentally coordinated. To try to get a bit more of a grasp on that, the, there was a medieval adage, a phrase, that the nature of a substance determines it to one. And we, I think we have to carefully understand that. So the nature of a substance determines it to one schema or array of what could happen to it or what it could do by nature. So for instance, there are, there's a determinate array of phases that belong by nature to water and not others. Since what happens by nature is determinately one in such a way, what lies outside of that range is united to the effects of a nature only accidentally. For instance, the, the proposition, the fall of a tree killed a dog, has only an accidental unity. There is no connection between the fall of a tree and the death of a dog. Otherwise, a tree could not fall without killing a dog, and the dog could only die by being crushed by a tree. Another example, to take a morning walk, surely involves putting one foot in front of another at a leisurely pace about the grounds after lauds. Yet this necessarily involves stepping on the ground, but not necessarily stepping on ants. That's by chance. You can take a morning walk without stepping on ants. Were it otherwise, one's morning constitutional would be necessarily formicidicidal. Thank you. Notice how the accidental concourse of causes and their accidentally unified effect has an indefiniteness to it. Neither are members of natural categories. Just as one does not set out to hire treasure-finding gravediggers as such, so also antelope thirst does not aim at lion avoidance as such. This is why Aristotle quips that, simply speaking, luck and chance are causes of nothing that is, of no essential sort of being. Aquinas adds, the essential cause is limited and determinate, whereas the accidental cause is unlimited and indeterminate, because an infinity of things can happen to be united. The accidental has no per se cause. Now remember, this is accidental in this second sense, meaning non-essential. For instance, a dog can die of old age, from sickness, from the fall of a tree. It can do so, either by pursuing a cat or burying a bone, the tree can fall because it is rotten or because of the wind or because of a thunderbolt. It can rot because of age, because of insects, etc. In other words, the overlap of agent causes, their running together or concourses, is by happenstance. It does not in itself have a cause. Its origin is indeterminate, but not from nothing. And so that's why we have to turn to the lessons two and three. So second, chance arises uh, from the indetermination of matter and form. Here we have to think about 
another term, contingency. So let's first talk about the term possible. In one sense, what is possible is opposed to what is impossible. That is, what is possible, it can be or exist. What is impossible cannot be. Whatever actually exists is therefore possible in this broad sense. By, po by contrast, possible can also mean what is not necessary. In this second sense, possible means what can be and can not be. By contrast, the necessary being is unable not to be. That is, its non-being is impossible. So let's, we're, I'm going to call the second sense of possible the contingent, what can be and what cannot be. All created things are possible in the first sense, but they're not all possible or contingent in the second sense, at least if we admit that there are necessary beings. Now, matter and form are co-causes of the contingency of the natures of changeable things. By matter here, we unfortunately have to keep in mind Aquinas' notion of prime matter. Prime matter is purely indeterminate physical possibility. It does not have a kind, it does not exist as detectable or tangible, but it materially underwrites the being of all changeable things. All physical things are potentially in it or from it. That's Tomish level three. So it is not determinately any of them. The pure indeterminacy of prime matter leads to the radical contingency of all natural events. In part, it is because of their composition from prime matter that natural substances sometimes fail to come to be or to act by nature. But it's not entirely due to prime matter. Form is also responsible. Form causes the actuality of a substance. As we've heard, since substantial form is the actuality of matter. Yet when a form is actualizing matter, its power to do so is not unlimited. It's limited and determinate. It's true that a thing is determined to one, one schema of operation by its nature and especially by its form, but it's not absolutely determined to one. A thing, according to its kind, can be interrupted, hindered, and even destroyed. Indeed, according to the medievals, the only form whose power totally prevented the corruption of its substance was the fifth element, ether. The stars cannot be destroyed. However, in actually existing changeable substances, no form completely conquers or exhausts the potentiality of matter. Matter can still be something else. And that it can be something else either substantially or accidentally. In other words, when form actualizes by nature a single scheme of behavior, it leaves fuzzy edges within the philosophical phase diagram, so to speak, of what the thing can naturally do or have done to it. To put it another way, form co-causes with matter the array of a substance's behavioral contingencies. A substance is perfected in its being by its form, but not perfectly so as the Thomistic philosopher Charles de Koenig maintains. And I've put, I believe I put that quote on the handout, but I'm not gonna walk through it. So it's this indetermination or limitedness of the hylomorphic composition of natural substances that makes chance possible. So now the third lesson. 
The third lesson is the logical complement of the second. However, it is important that they are in this order. A substance exists due to matter and form before it acts as an agent. This can be highlighted by considering how Aquinas criticizes the view of the Stoic philosophers. The Stoics thought that what is necessary cannot be stopped or impeded from the outside by another agent. You can't burn the truth of the Pythagorean theorem, and therefore the Pythagorean theorem is necessary. Aquinas thinks that this is inadequate because it is thinking first of what is external and accidental and not of what is intrinsic and essential. For something is not necessary because it does not have an impediment, but rather it does not have an impediment because it is necessary. So it's the other way around. That is, the unstoppability is the effect of something being necessary. So analogously, the stoppability of something is the result or effect of its being intrinsically contingent already. Thus, the necessity or contingency of a thing arises intrinsically by nature, even if extrinsic agents are required as complements to manifest that. The contingency of a thing arises from its matter and form, but that contingency is also complementarily conditioned by other agents that work upon or interact with it. In other words, it's not as if one finds contingent agents not in relationship to other agents that could hinder them. If an agent is powerful enough, though, Aquinas maintains, then its effect comes about necessarily. But that is only if the agent causes powerful enough, and that ability itself is due to what arises intrinsically due to its nature. Thus, form and matter open up an ample margin of contingencies such that a substance, when acting, can be interfered with or hindered, or it can impede other things. Contingency is deep within things before it gets out of them into the world. Agents by nature contingent are first intrinsically able to fail, and secondly able to be impeded or hindered extrinsically. Okay, so fourth, chance is not a mere seeming function of human ignorance. The reason why chance seems to be a mere seeming is that we account for the overlapping lines of agent causality separately and then unify them in our thought. As Aquinas argues, nothing hinders that which happens by accident being taken as one by an intellect. Otherwise, the intellect could not form this proposition, the gravedigger found a treasure. In other words, what is not naturally one in things can be made one by our minds. However, things need not be just as one in reality as they have been made one by our mental acts of thinking about them or measuring them. In the case of chance, we often give the same mental unity to the accidental concourse of agent causes that such a constellation possesses. But the accidentality of that concourse is not removed by our knowledge of the history of a chance encounter or our anticipation of it. To paraphrase a Thomistic commentator, Cardinal Cajetan, chance and what happens by chance are still really accidental beings considered in and of themselves. We cannot transmute their accidental character just by thinking about it into something essential. 
to try to highlight that, if one were to insist that, for example, the lucky event is merely what is unforeseen, what would that mean for chance? If the lucky meeting at the marketplace is unforeseen relative to human agency, then how is chance analogously unforeseen relative to the natures of things? If one insists on ignorance here, since natures do not see, then to be unforeseen to nature has to mean not pre-existing determinately in the causal power of those natural agents. So somewhat unnervingly, since the, in, since the indeterminacy is really there, chance is really there. So the world is in part unintelligible. Chance is not subject to indefinitely precise human knowability, measurement, predictability, or control. Even Aristotle excludes what comes to be by chance from the scope of his natural sciences. To tame chance by a theory means to render chance more intelligible than the way in which it concretely exists. Yet the indeterminacy and unintelligibility of chance are not absolute. Aquinas gives the example of two plants blooming next to each other. That they do so happens by chance, that they're right next to each other. You could have planted them like, but they, they're there. But as a pair taken both together, that can be intended by some higher agent that causes them precisely through chance at the level of how they spring up and how they grow. That is, at the most universal level of causality of God's providence, we find that there are no chances against God. Nevertheless, just because nothing is fortuitous to God, we must not think that therefore what comes to be by chance only exists relative to the knowledge of creatures. That would ignore what is intrinsic and essential to chance as a peculiar sort of accidental being. These last two are a bit more brief, and since they get bigger, they have to get briefer. Otherwise, I'd have to explain them at greater length and inevitably open up space to fail. <laughs> Five, chance requires final causality in the cosmos. As we, have, as we have seen, teleology is presumed in the Aristotelian definition of chance. This raises questions about the causal texture of the cosmos. Could chance be incorporated into the warp and woof of nature's final causes? Yet, isn't this the case insofar as chance is used by things to achieve their own ends? Consider the extent to which oak trees and sea turtles compensate for chance interference with the survival of their young. Predators, I am told, along and above the beach ensure a sea turtle hatchling survival rate that borders on or at less than half. And the sea compounds this failure rate, uh, at, sorry, the sea compounds that at failure rates within the first year. As for the millions of acorns produced over the centuries of an oak's life, only a handful of them reach maturity to give rise to the next generation. So squirrels eat well and often enough then. Yet surely chance is involved here, Aquinas might argue, since nature does not intend the generation and survival of this particular sea turtle, but rather sea turtle in general. Nature is a kind of ersatz reason in things, so that having no intellect proper, they may still act for a determinate end. Sea turtle nature is quasi-instinctive foresight. The conditions of disaster are indefinite, so chance must be used to advantage. The material world is where forms compete. Uh, the sixth lesson before concluding. Chance comes after mind and nature in the being of things. 
Here we have to recall Aristotle's cosmological problem that I raised at the beginning. Can chance be the ultimate cause of the order of the cosmos? Aristotle's answer is in the negative. His reasoning is that what is accidental, remember this is the accidental opposed to the essential. So the accidental is not self-explanatory. It requires what is essential. Being that is derivative requires as a ground being that is non-derivative. Since chance is an accidental agent cause, its peculiar tenuous existence implies the prior existence of either minds or natures. So Aristotle doubles down on those philosophers who would propose a fortuitous cosmic origin. If, and here I'm just paraphrasing, if the genesis of the cosmos essentially involves chance, then even more so are mind and nature causes of the cosmos. So in conclusion, chance is a necessary part of the order of things, given substances that are replete with the contingent and the accidental. It's for that reason, Aquinas argues, that the world would be incomplete without chance. Strikingly, chance also perfects the cosmos. I, there's the quote on your handout, but I'm not going to read through it. It's for your further edification. The Aristotelian Thomistic cosmos, then, is not a machine. Its history is no mere unfolding of what follows from a constellation of causes in, in some original position that renders time itself an otios laundry list of events. What comes into being by chance is not the result of some event Platonism, which, where purely formal possibilities play out in the shadows of eternity once certain initial conditions are in place. Rather, the contingency of the cosmos is deep within substances that constitute it. The indeterminacy of matter and the limited determinacy of form are the root reasons why chance exists, why contingent events need not have happened, and why the future is not perfectly determinate in the now of natural agents. This means that the sufficient reason of what happens in this world is not itself of this world. It is not subjectified, as it were, in things. No creature can be the essential cause of what is either by chance or the fortuitous. So on a final daring, I have not justified this closing note, <laughs> chance within the cosmos ought to be understood as, as a sign of the divine beyond the cosmos.